0: All right, you can open your Bibles to First Thessalonians chapter 5. First <clears throat> Thessalonians chapter 5. It's a privilege to be here this morning and to see you all here. Um, I hope you've come expecting to hear something from the Lord and that your hearts are prepared um, for what the Lord wants to show us this morning. First Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. Now, we've been going through the book of First Thessalonians, and um, today we, we come to a continuation of exhortations that Paul is busy giving this Thessalonian church. Um, we've currently find ourselves in the middle of, I want to say,, um, a series of rapid fire. Exhortations to all Christians he's giving us bulleted points for those of us who struggle to memorize scripture. these are some easy verses and there are some very good verses to memorize. and these, um, these principles or these verses that communicate foundational principles for a sound walk in obedience to the Lord. so I'd like for us to read together from verse 16, First Thessalonians chapter five. And verse 16. It says rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings. prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. Now today we pick it up in verse 17. We're going to look at verse 17, 18, and 19, by God's grace today. And um, something I want to bring to your mind is, as I said, these are verses that are you can memorize quite easily. And um, I'm sure most of you have heard these principles. But I think the challenge to all of us is to apply what we see in these bulleted, easy-to-remember verses. Because at the end of the day, these are principles for a sound walk, in obedience to the Lord. So as we go through it, I ask you to have ears to hear, to test yourself against what we see here, and to think how you can apply these virtues in your everyday life. But before we get into the first verse, let's just pray together. Father, we need you this morning, Lord. We, we need you to teach us, Lord. We need you to show us and Reveal what um, is lacking in our lives, Lord. Where we can improve, where we can serve you better, Lord. And help us to see these truths for what they are, Lord. They're they're easy to remember. And I pray that we'll take these things with us into our week and into everyday life as we serve you, Lord. But Lord, that the remembrance of this will um, lead to action, Lord. That we will pray without ceasing that in everything we will give thanks. And Lord, that will never quench the work of your Spirit in our lives. Lord, please be with us now. Please, Lord, help me to teach your word. And Lord, may these people's hearts and my heart as well be touched in this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, pray without ceasing. This is to pray uninterruptedly or to pray without end. Now, you might look at me and say, Garrett, we just prayed, you said amen, and now you're saying to pray unendingly, to pray without end. This does not mean that you don't do anything else but pray, but it means that you do everything prayerfully. You do everything prayerfully. You read, you witness, you socialize, you work. All of these things you do prayerfully. You do it the way God wants you to do. You do it asking him to lead you in those avenues of life. You approach every situation with the Lord on your mind and his word in your heart, sensitive to his guidance. Essentially, what this means is to always be in communication with the Lord. To always be in communication with the depth, the length, the way, that will differ as you go throughout your day. But the line, if I could put it like that, is always open. Sometimes you'll go to the closet and you'll close the door and you'll pray fervently as Jesus says we must. And sometimes you'll pray on the spot. You'll pray in your stride. I want you to turn to the book of Nehemiah and we have a very good example of this. It's... um, before Psalms, before Job, before Esther. Nehemiah chapter 1. Now you might be familiar with the example of Nehemiah praying as he stands before the king. But I want you to see something that happens before that prayer. You see this on the spot prayer can often be an excuse for not spending fervent time in the closet. But I want to make the argument that on-the-spot prayer and prayer in your stride would not be effective without time in the closet. Have a look at Nehemiah chapter 1 and um, verse 3. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left off the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the Lord of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord, um, God of heaven and the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe all his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest, mayest hear the prayer of thy servant which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel thy servants and confess the sins of the children of Israel and have the, uh, which have sinned against thee both I and my father's house have sinned we have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses have a look at verse 11 O Lord I beseech thee let now thine ear be attentive to my prayer to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper i pray thee thy servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man for i was the king's cupbearer do you see that there is a, a earnest a fervent a separated time of prayer and fasting that happened And then you have in chapter 2, chapter 2, he comes before the king, verse 2 says, Therefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid, and said unto the king, king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad, when the city and the place of my father's sepulchres lieth waste, And the gates thereof are consumed with fire. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. So you see, in that moment, as he stands before the king, he prays to the God of heaven before he answers the king. So there's your in the moment, in your stride prayer. But it was preceded by him earnestly spending time with God, praying fervently for the request that was going to come later on. So, we need to pray on the spot, but we also that needs to be preceded by prayer in the closet. A deep and fervent prayer, um, deep and fervent prayer in the prayer closet, lays the foundation for an active, instant, ceaseless prayer life. Now, this type of prayer and communion with God is only possible if you correctly understand what prayer is and what it involves if you think prayer is only about requests and only about asking forgiveness you will struggle to pray without ceasing unless you are constantly sinning <laughs> in this in this context right so for us to have a ceaseless prayer life we need to understand not only have the right mindset but we need to understand what makes up prayer Prayer is l- a lot more comprehensive and special than just asking for things and asking for forgiveness. Um, open to Romans, Book of Romans. You see, prayer is when an infinite, uh, when a finite being, comes and stands before a holy, and infinite God. And you stand before that God and he extends grace and he extends mercy. I don't think when you stand before God and you see him for who he is, your first reaction will be to ask for fleshly gain or for God to help you with this or that thing. I think your first reaction will be awe of who he is. As um, the prophet Isaiah, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. And so I think our reaction would be something more like Romans chapter 11. and verse 33, we stand before God, finite beings, sinful beings, before holy, righteous, infinite God. And as Paul exclaims here, he says in Romans 11, verse 33, O oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out! For who hath known the mind of God? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of, for, for of him, and through him, and to him are all things... To whom be the glory forever, Amen. I think that is more the heart of someone who stands before God—worship, adoration—that that that God extends mercy to us. That's the first thing I want to point out about prayer. It's it's not just about requests and asking forgiveness, but prayer is also when the Spirit guides your will towards His will. We can have a look at Romans chapter 8. He guides your will towards his will. Sometimes it's not about what you are saying, but about what God is doing in you through prayer. And that's why it's also so important to spend time in prayer. We can look at Romans chapter 8 verse 26. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, our shortcomings. For we know not What we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knoweth what the mind, um, hmm, what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You see, when we spend time in prayer, the Spirit intercedes for us and shows us what the will of God is he guides us into his will and so prayer is not just about you coming to God and making your request known to him but about him working in your heart while you are spending that time with him it's not about talking at God it's about talking with God and this is the mindset that we need to have to first of all understand how prayer can be ceaseless prayer can be ceaseless because you are in adoration of who God is. You need Him for everyday guidance because He's working His will in your heart. But something else that I think is important, apart from having the correct mindset, is also knowing what the, let me say, um, the, the hows and the whats of prayer. The hows in terms of what, how do you pray, uh, um, the whats in terms of the topics, and the hows in terms of the methods. Now, there's a, in, in Scripture, there's so much written about prayer. There's over 150 references made to prayer. But I want to go through a brief list with you, and I'll, I'm just going to read it to you, but, and you can get it from me afterwards, but we read a lot about um, how and what to pray for. In Matthew 5, verse 44, it t- tells us to pray for our enemies. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 25, it says to pray for one another. The brethren in Matthew 6 verse 6 it says to pray in privacy in Luke 9:28 and Acts 1:14 we are told to pray together in Matthew 6 verse 9 to 13 we need to include the prayer elements that Jesus gave to his disciples the Lord's prayer worship confession requests and thanksgiving in Matthew 9 verse 38 we are to pray for more laborers in Matthew 26, verse 39, we are to pray in times of need and desperation. In Psalm 103, we are to pray when things are going well and we are reminded of God's goodness. In Mark 11:25, we need to pray for forgiveness and to help forgive others. In Luke 6:12, we are to pray persistently. In Luke 18:14, we are to pray in humility with an upward focus instead of an inward focus. In Luke 22.40, we need to pray that we don't fall into temptation. In Colossians 4.12 and James 5.16, we are to pray fervently. And in James 1.5, we are to pray for wisdom. And that's an abbreviated list. Do you see how quickly prayer can become ceaseless? You adore God for who he is. And then you see all these hows and you see all these what's that are included in prayer. Soon it becomes something that is with you all the day. Whether you're working, whether you're driving, whether you're at home. Whatever you do, you want to do it in such a way that pleases God and therefore you're in constant fellowship with him. Yes, it, sometimes it's deeper, sometimes it's shorter or shallower, but it's all always connected to God. Prayer is a vital element to the Christian walk. Christian walk, just like breathing, is vital to physical life. The Christian who doesn't pant after this type of prayer life and communion with God will not experience intimate fellowship, peace, a peace that surpasses understanding, and the power of god intended for his children i'm not saying that a christian or this person is not a christian i'm saying a christian who doesn't pant after this type of prayer life will not experience intimate fellowship with god will not have peace will not have assurance and will not see the power of god working in their life and prayer is therefore undeniably a foundational christian virtue required For a sound walk in obedience to the Lord. Back in our text, the very next one after prayer is thanksgiving. In verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we have the verse that says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I think we live in a culture and a time where this could not be more relevant our world is obsessed with having having more having better having nicer <laughs> it's just an endless pursuit and the thing is it's endless because there's just so much stuff to be had i don't think there's ever been a time where there hasn't been so much stuff a time where there hasn't been war for such a long period that is drawn this earth this world down into depression we're in a sort of affluent time in the world and so you have people who are doing really well but you also have people who are really struggling but I think both those who are struggling and those who are doing well can fail at giving thanks in everything you see this pursuit of stuff this pursuit of vanity is absolutely endless. And each acquisition leaves you emptier than the one before. I thought of illustrating this and there were so many thoughts that came to my mind but if you have a vast open space and you take something, like let's say you have a massive desert and you take this piano and you put that in that desert. This piano looks relatively normal sized here but you put that in the middle of a desert and you go up in a helicopter and you look at that piano. It looks... Small. The vastness of that desert looks greater by the small thing that you've added there. And so the more we've got such a void in our lives without God, the more we pursue these things of this world, it's like placing as another small thing in something that is so vast that cannot ever be covered that you just emphasize the fact that there is so much emptiness. And so a Christian shouldn't be busy pursuing the things of this world stuff now as I said thankfulness is sometimes hard to find in those who have a lot those who abound and those who are abased those who have little the reason I say that is in those who are abased those who don't have much they sometimes purely focus on their needs their need, their need, their need and they never stop and thank God for what they do have but then there are also those who abound and still find it difficult to thank God because they bes- prescribe their abundance to luck or their selves. I am the one who did this. I am the maker of my fate. And their brief exclamation of thank God sort of just gets muted by their pride, by their further pursuit of more stuff. Neither of these have place for thankfulness, but rather only pride and complaining. And this is why, well, this might be the case for the world, but this should never be the case for the Christian. In, um, in Romans chapter 1, and in verse 21, we read about the, the sinful man's heart the one who doesn't recognize God in his, in his conscience, what God has revealed to him. And in Romans 1.21, we read this verse, it says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. You see, an unthankful heart is a heart that is rebellious against God. God promised to give us everything to supply all our need. So what you don't have right now, you don't need right now. (laughs) And um, that's why it is rebelliousness against God to not see God's hand in what he has given you right now. A heart of unthankfulness belongs to a foolish and a darkened and unsaved heart. It does not belong in the heart of a child of light. It is something that also accompanies the, the degrading society of the end times. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we read about what type of things will happen in the end times and the, the people's hearts in those days. And we read in First Timothy, uh, Timothy chapter 3, 1, This know also, that in these last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy so unthankfulness is something that accompanies the degrading society of the end times this should not be the heart of the Christian instead the Christian's heart should be as Paul said in Philippians 4 11, he says not that I speak in respect of want for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content I know bo- both how to be abased and I know how to abound Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You see, I can endure all these trials. I can go through these times of being abased. And I can go through these times of abundance knowing that God is the one who keeps me, knowing God is the one who blesses me. And therefore I can go through all these things through God, Christ, who gives me this strength Paul is not just instructing these believers to be thankful it's not just something he is saying be thankful but it is something that he lives by so far in the book of 1st Thessalonians have a look at 1st Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 2 he says we give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our praise. Okay, there's an example. Paul says, We give thanks to God. Have a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye receive the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. He says that we thank God. Have a look at 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. Something I found very interesting looking at how Paul now instructs these believers at the end to give thanks. It was preceded by him giving thanks, giving thanks, giving thanks. But something that's consistent throughout his giving thanks, chapter 1, 2, 3, is the object of his thanks. It's every time we thank God. Thanks to God. You see, the object of thanks is God. And I believe this is the crux. The the, The Christian can give thanks in everything, Because the Christian trusts God's greater plan in everything. We can give thanks in everything because we trust God's greater plan in everything. And that's why I say that's the crux. It has to be focused upward to God. Without God, there is no way you can always give thanks. And I know I've mentioned this before, but... Be careful that you don't misquote the verse. It says, In everything give thanks. Not for everything give thanks. This essentially means that you don't have to be happy or like every situation in life. But you remain thankful to God because you know He is at work. Alright? You give thanks in everything. Not because you're always happy-go-lucky and everything is just going great. No. (laughs) No. things don't always go great but we always have something to give thanks for so whether you are abounding or whether you are abased acknowledge him in giving of thanks this is one way in which the Christian should be separate from the world just like we should rejoice in trials as we are told to in James chapter 1 even last time we looked at rejoice evermore that means even in trials The Christian is told to rejoice evermore. In the same way, we are to give thanks in everything. And that's a way in which we can be different to the world. I gave you a quote on your paper. It's a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, We ought to give thanks for all fortune. If it is good, because it is good. If bad, because it works in us. Patience, humility, and the contempt of this world. And the hope of our eternal country. You see when things don't go well or let me say from a fleshly perspective we must remember that it works in us patience, humility and a contempt for this world and a hope that there is something better. It pushes your thoughts to thank goodness that this world is not my home (laughs) and I am just passing through. Another quote I'd like to read for you it says a thankful heart is one. Uh, sorry, a thankful heart is one of the primary identifying characteristics of a believer. It stands in stark contrast to pride, selfishness, and worry, and it helps fortify the believer's trust in the Lord and reliance of His provision, even in the toughest times. No matter how choppy the seas become, a believer's heart is afloat. Is kept afloat by constant praise and thankfulness to the Lord and you see that having that truth in your heart will help you to stay afloat will help you to stay um, separate from this world because you are through God's through prayer and always being in prayer constant ceaseless prayer with him he will help you turn your heart to thanksgiving and that will help you stand out and stay afloat um, in the difficult and in the good times So, do you trust him enough to thank him in the tough times? Do you realize your need for him and thank him for his blessing in the abundant times? It is thankfulness in everything that will keep us afloat when trials come and keep our hearts from falling away when the deceitfulness of riches come. Because both of those can make you stumble something I quickly want to mention the end of this verse verse 18 says for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you now Franchois actually also mentioned this in passing this morning that if you're asking what the will of God is instead of waiting for some supernatural magical sign start with what has God said his will is this morning we saw it is to do good even to those who may be oppressing you, the authorities, is to do good. Here we see it is to give thanks in everything. So if you are seeking God's will for your life, be faithful in the things that He has already revealed to you in Scripture. Seek Him, apply that, and God will lead you. Because one of the things of part of God's will is to be filled with the Spirit. And so if you are filled with the Spirit... You are walking in line with what he wants you to do. He is your guide. He will guide you into all truth. And so you will discover and get to know God more and his will for your life as you pursue what God has already revealed of his will through his word. So up to this point, we've studied through three of these Christian virtues that provide this foundational principle for a sound walk with God. We looked at rejoicing evermore. We looked at pray without ceasing. And then now we've looked at, in everything, give thanks. The fourth one is quench not the spirit. It's to essentially allow the spirit to work through you effectively. Quench not the spirit. Now, the word quench is usually used in the context of a flame, a candle, something that you put out, something that you extinguish. So if you think of the spirit then as the one who is working or placing this burden, this desire in you, is the fire or the energy in you to willing to do God's good pleasure. Paul says, don't put out that driving force, that desire to please God. Now I am by no means saying that the spirit is a force or a fire. I'm saying his work is like that it's like the driving force in you it's the one that stirs in your heart to do the pleasure of god if you quench him be sure that he will be grieved bible says grieve not the spirit right so what we do if we act and quenching him the reaction of the spirit is grief we quench he grieves In fact, in other places, not only are we told not to not quench the Spirit or not grieve the Spirit, but we are actually told to do exactly the opposite. We are told in Galatians 5.16 to walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. In Ephesians 5.18, we are told to be filled with the Spirit. This is essentially allowing the Spirit to have free course in your life, to not hinder the Spirit's work through you allowing him to guide you and you faithfully follow we sang um, channels only song 160 and verse 4 of that song says Jesus full now with thy spirit hearts that full surrender now you see when you are filled with the spirit you become less of yourself it's almost like it's almost like as the one increases, the other one decreases. And so we need to be filled with the Spirit that we might not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So Jesus, fill now with our Spirit, hearts that full surrender know that the streams of living water from our inner man may flow. Channels only. And a heart that is filled with the Spirit, the heart that is not quenching the Spirit, is a channel only for God's work in their life. If we hinder his work in and through us, we are extinguishing, we are muting, we are suffocating, we are quenching his influence in our lives. And this should concern you. For without his influence, according to John 14, 16, you don't have that comfort. According to John fourteen, twenty-six, the words of Jesus will not be brought to your memory. John fifteen twenty-six the true character of Jesus will not be revealed to you. John 16:13. your spiritual guidance to truth falls away. 1 Corinthians 2, the word, the understanding of God's word, spiritual things are spiritually discerned, will fall short. In 1 Corinthians 12, you cannot kindle the gifts of the spirit that God gives you. In Galatians 5.22-23, your ability to produce true and lasting spiritual fruit is removed. And so you don't want to be in that position. And that's why we are told as Christians not to quench the Spirit. Do not quench the work of the Spirit in your life you will not be able to bear fruit you will not know Jesus as you should you will not experience the comfort that God has for you You will not experience the power that God has for you through his spirit you will not have the guidance you will be stumbling around seeking some sort of stability because you don't have the scripture being interpreted through the spirit to you now what are some of the ways in which we quench the spirit now keep this picture of a fire in your mind now you can quench a fire in one of two ways you can remove the oxygen, or you can add a non combustible material. So, in other words, you're not giving it fuel. It can't burn up whatever you're feeding it. So, removing oxygen. I would say removing oxygen is neglecting of cultivating Christian graces. You neglect cultivating these things that a Christian should have. You neglect prayer, neglect of the Bible. Neglect of assembling together. Neglect of, che- of careful watchfulness over your heart. That's how you remove oxygen. The quickest way you remove prayer, remove the Bible, remove coming to church, and you remove the importance of guarding your heart. That's a sure way in which you remove oxygen from this fire of the Spirit. Another way is to add combustible, non-combustible materials. You add rubbish. You add worldliness, vanity, misplaced ambition, pride, the love of people's praise, or indulgence in sinful thoughts. You add all these things on top of this fire, and eventually this fire starts dying out because there's no fuel to burn it. Or you remove the oxygen, the things that keeps it burning, like prayer and study of His Word. And that is how you quench The Spirit. Either of these is a possibility for the Christian. And that is why Paul is writing it to Christians, saying, Guys, do not quench the Spirit. Now we'll see next week as we or next time when we study further that there are things that follow this. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. I want to make the case that you can't do that without the Spirit's guidance. And so the Spirit's guidance is critical to your walk with Him. Without Him guiding you, you will dwindle like a fire without oxygen, like a fire with rubbish on. So, check your fire. Could it be dwindling? If so... Check if something is either stealing oxygen or whether you have started adding rubbish to your fire. <coughs> now, speaking about the Spirit, I don't want to neglect speaking about one more thing, and that is the work of the Spirit in the non Christian's life. The non Christian's life. The Christian can quench the Spirit, the quench- Christian can grieve the Spirit. But you read something in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 in verse 51, Stephen is preaching. And he's preaching to a bunch of religious people who have not been saved. And there may be some of you who are religious but not saved. And this is what he tells them. He says, "Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers do, so do ye. You resist the Spirit, as um, was asked to Saul on the way to Damascus. It says you do always kick against the pricks. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit is to reprove; that is, to accuse or to convict the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. That is the work of the Spirit. And perhaps the Spirit has been working in you, reproving you, yet you keep resisting Him. You resist His work of showing sin in your life, God's righteousness and judgment coming. Perhaps even today He has pointed out sin in your life and that unless you stop resisting the Spirit's drawing, you will stand guilty at that day of judgment. Are you going to go on and continue the work of the spirit until it's too late or are you going to allow him to come and make his dwelling place in you and recreate you as you place your trust in the one of whom he testifies Jesus Christ the Bible says we need to seek the Lord while he may be found call upon him while he is near I pray that you won't leave here today until you've made right with the Lord. Because the Spirit is working in the Christian and the unchristian. And um, He has two different works. But do not resist Him. Do not quench Him. You may stand. Bow your heads. You can pray together. <laughs>
1: folks take a moment in prayer as the music plays softly imagine that you're filling out a form we're trying to determine if you qualify as a solid grounded fruitful Christian and on this form there are three boxes a prayer life Box number two, thankful heart. Box number three, submission, yielding to the Holy Spirit. Now just ask yourself this morning, honestly, how many of those boxes can you tick? These are the foundational Christian, foundational Christian conduct. These are the exhortations that speak to these very basic things. How does it stand with you, friend? Might I add one other box? Born again. Can you tick that box? Do you know the Lord is your Savior? If you don't, The Holy Spirit this morning is drawing you to Christ. We know that He is. Now you either resist or receive. Whichever box you couldn't tick this morning, do what you need to do now to set that right. Father, thank you for how you've worked in our hearts, how you've spoken to us this morning. Thank you for these wonderful reminders about these basic principles that we have in our Christian lives. Help us, God. This matter of prayer, our flesh fights against it. It's so much easier to complain than to say thank you. And Lord, so often we don't have time to listen to what the Holy Spirit is trying to say. Please, God, give us ears to hear. And if anybody this morning is not saved, please, God, continue to work in that heart until they know Jesus Christ is their Savior. Thank you for spending time with us this morning in every way, in every service. We ask you continue to fellowship with us throughout this day, even until the evening so we get to learn more from your Word. Please have your hand upon each individual now as we head our separate ways. Help us to do so walking in the Spirit, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for your time this morning. So good to meet with all of you. Again, please get home safely tonight, the live stream for Bible School, 6 o'clock. Join us for that.